glad that you're listening to this podcast. This podcast is a ministry of the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church and of Pastor Devin Neal. First John chapter 4, verse 20. We finished, uh, as far as outline is concerned, chapter 4, but in, ver- in chapter 20, uh, or chapter 4, verse 20 and 21, we looked at the proof of love, and I've been looking and considering fellowship from this standpoint, the corroboration of fellowship, meaning if we have fellowship with God, it is manifest by how we love one another. That's what corroborates or vindicates our profession of love for God and faith in God. And what John, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, had no room for was pretentious love for God, pretentious faith in God, pretentious knowledge of God. As we've mentioned before, throughout the New Testament, God warns of a feigned faith. When he deals with love, he cautions us over and over again of not feigning love. We live in a world that knows how to pretend that they love when they really do not. Uh, love is easy uh, to to mimic. It is easy to uh, act like we have it without actually doing it. If you have someone uh, who is hungry and starving to be loved, they are often vulnerable to those who don't really love them. You let me give the best illustration. I know this. You get some young lady, some young girl that's been raised in a home where dad was a deadbeat. He never was around. He was a drunk and a fool. And that young lady is looking for someone to care for her. Dad didn't do his job, didn't protect her, didn't provide for her. Some nice young man comes along who is very self-centered in his motivation. He sees her as something to use for his own pleasure. But he promises her he loves her. He buys her food. He buys her things she likes so she'll give him what he wants. And she is prone to fall for that feigned love. Words that are soft and sweet, flattery. You're the prettiest girl I've ever known. She doesn't know he's told the last five girls the same thing. He's a liar because he wants something. Now listen, in the spiritual realm, it's no different. There are preachers today who will tell the hearers just exactly what they want to hear. You're the sweetest, best people on planet Earth. Uh, You just need to be accepted. You need to be affirmed uh, for who you are and all these kind of things. And the heart that, like all of us, that's hungry to be loved, but that is undiscerning, is prone to fall for a slick-talking false teacher who intends to simply use the people for his or her own benefit for their own pleasure, for their own promotion, and there's so many that fall for it. John, I believe, sees this creeping in, and he says there's no room for a faith or a Christianity that doesn't have integrity. We don't need to claim to know God but not really know Him. We don't need to claim to have fellowship with God but not actually be in fellowship with Him. We don't need to claim to love God when we really don't, so he's exposing that. So all the way up to chapter 4, verse 20, he says, if we say, but then this is the case, then what we said isn't true. If we say, how many of us all know it's easy to say something? It's easy to say to my children, I love you, and I should tell them I love you. But it's a different thing to do it. It's a different thing to get out of bed at 3 in the morning to minister to some need they have than just to say, I love you. That's different, all right? One's easy to say, but the doing of it is what proves it. Uh, It's easy for a young man to say, I love you. It's another thing to stay married to her or for her to stay married to him for 35 years through difficulties, through frustrations, through all the things that life brings. One thing is to say it, the other is to do it. It's easy to say, I love God. Many people can say it. It makes them look good, makes them feel good. 
But saying it doesn't mean it's so. We either love him or we don't. And God gives us some proofs to say, if you love him, then this is the case. If you know him, then this will be the case. If you're in fellowship with him, then this will be the case. And so we'll give you three, if you would, tests of professions here. And the first one will be uh, concerning claims uh, claims concerning righteousness. So go back to 1 John chapter 1. There'll always be those that claim to be righteous. Now listen to me say this. Righteousness has to do with the removal or the absence of sin. Right? We are righteous. If there's sin, then you're not righteous. And so we are either inherently righteous or we are righteous by, by, by pardon. We are either righteous by conduct or we are righteous by God imputing to us. So we are either inherently righteous or imputed righteous. By that I mean you're either just, you're a good person and you do right because there's no wrong in you or the righteousness of God has been given to you and any righteousness is His righteousness in you. Well, we know which way that works according to the Bible. There'll always be those that claim, though, that they are inherently righteous. And so let's look at this, First John chapter 1. We looked at it and went through chapter 1. But here's what it says in First John chapter 1, verse 8, concerning uh, claims of righteousness. He said, if we say, all right, so here's the, the, the profession. If we say that we have no sin, I mean, if we claim to have a sinless character, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. The person that says, I, I have no sin. I, I really, I can't think of any. I've only met a handful of people in my life that actually would make this claim. But there are those that say, I have no sin. There are some who say, I've been born again. And when I got saved, I had sin. But I don't have it now. I have no sin. Notice here in 1 John 1, 8, John doesn't say, if you say or if they say. He says, if we. That's including himself. If we say that we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. And so he said, uh, this claim of not having sin or being righteous because I'm sinless in character is a lie, and it's a lie first told to oneself, and obviously the truth is not in us. You know, it, it, what it takes to convince a person that there is sin in their character is just the truth. The very fact that we want to do sinful things tells us, Paul said, Romans seven seventeen, I believe it is, I know that in me that is in my flesh dwelleth no good thing. You know what Paul had? He had the truth. The truth is, in my natural state, I am sinful. My natural state is sinful. My newborn state is sinless, but my natural state is sinful. And so if we say that we have no sin, why is it important for a verse like that to be in the Bible? Is there anyone today teaching that you reach a point of sinlessness after salvation? Oh, yes. There are those who teach that upon being born again, your old nature is eradicated and you literally have no sin. Now, that's convenient because then when you do sin, you say, well, that must not be sin because I did it and we know I don't have any sin. And even though God's Word says that sin, it's not saying when I do it because I'm a new creature, I got saved and there's no sin in me. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible does not teach that when you get saved, your sinful nature was eradicated. It is now competed with. The Bible says the spirit and the flesh lust against each other. Read Galatians chapter 5. This is one of the most pivotal points to understanding your Christian life. You know why many people doubt their salvation? Because of the truth. They have one nature in them that says, I love the truth and I'll settle for nothing less than the truth because they're born again. 
The Spirit of God is the Spirit of truth. And therefore, they are recognizing this desire over here. I have a longing to do something that in my conscience I know is sinful. If I were saved, why would I want to do that? Because you still have flesh. And the flesh and the Spirit are contrary one to the other. Let's go ahead and read it. I don't just want to talk about it. Go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5. I remember after surrendering my will to God and and expecting things to go a little easier when it came to doing what's right, I kind of was blown back a bit because there was still some some strong pull on me to do wrong. And I thought, how do I reconcile this? Is this pulling me to do wrong because I'm lost? What I came to is, no, it's because you're saved. There is a conflict. There's an old person of the flesh in you, sinful, that wants to do wrong. And there's the new man. But here's the great thing. The new man has power to overcome the old. That's what he's going to talk about in 1 John chapter 5. Whatsoever is born of God overcometh the world. May I say this here tonight, if you are here and you are saved and you are defeated, it is because you've believed a lie somewhere. This is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. God does not intend for his children to live in subjection to the old nature, even though it's present, and we must acknowledge that it's present. If a man say, I have no sin... He's a liar. He's deceived himself. The truth is not in him. So it's important for us to acknowledge, yes, there is still sin and a sinful character in my flesh, but I'm indwelt with the Spirit of God. So Galatians chapter 5, the Bible says in verse 16, This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and ye shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. You know what that's telling me? I have the Holy Spirit and His influence on me and the influence of the flesh at the same time. And I have the liberty to choose which one I'm going to obey and listen to. There are, there, again, there's a teaching that if you were saved, there would be no even any temptation to sin in you. That's not Bible. This I say then, walk in the Spirit, meaning listen to the Holy Spirit and obey His instruction, and you'll not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Verse 17, for the flesh lusteth against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the flesh. And these are the contrary, the one to the other, so that you cannot do the things that you would. There's a conflict in you that hinders you from doing the things that you would do. Then he says, verse 18, But if ye be led of the Spirit, ye are not under the law. So he's referencing, in, again, that law of, the, of, the, uh, of sin and death, and yet if you have the Spirit of God in you, you can overcome that. But the idea would be this. Salvation does not mean the absence of sin. It means the presence of the Holy Spirit to overcome the presence of sin. Make sense? Could God have given us a glorified body when he saved us? All I want to say is this. For the people that teach, well, now that you're saved, you have no sin to deal with. Why in the world then are their bodies still decaying and are they on their way to the grave? It's sin that brings death. And if sin is removed, then you should stop dying. Amen? As far as the flesh is concerned. And so then don't fall for the lie, uh, even if it's a lie in your own imagination. If I were saved, I wouldn't have any sin to deal with. That's not true. Um, someone asked me recently, said, so you're telling me that even though I'm saved, I can still sin. That's what the Bible says. Yes, you can. And it was almost like a relief to them, not because they wanted to sin, but it was, ah, that helps me make sense of some things then, right? And, uh, and so therein, there are those that would teach the opposite to confuse us. What you know then is going on inside of you versus what they're telling you. The Gnostics coming along saying, well, we've arrived at such a level of knowledge that we have no sin. 
We, there's no sin in us. Not true. So John says, if there's a claim of righteousness that says I am sinless in my character or 1 John 1 1.10, sinless in conduct, this is a lie. 1 John 1.10 says, if we say... So first he says, if we say we have no sin, that's our character, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Verse 9, if we confess our sins, if we're honest about it and confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, that's conduct, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. We're not only deceiving ourselves, we're calling God a liar because he says we have sinned. So if we say we have not, if someone says, I don't, you know, I don't have any sin to confess, uh, he said we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And so then the claim concerning righteousness, if someone claims to be sinless in character or sinless in conduct, this is a false claim. We know that is true. Number two, there are claims concerning relationship. There's claims concerning righteousness. We know that it takes righteousness to have fellowship with God because he's righteous. And so then the question is, that's always brought up, how does a person become righteous enough to be able to commune with God? The Gnostics come along and claim to have a higher knowledge, a deeper, greater revelation than anybody else. They knew more so that they were able to elevate themselves to righteousness so that they had elevated themselves to the glory of God, if you would. That's, that's just false religion, it's humanism. That what we need to be righteous is in us. God says, no, what you need to be righteous is in Him and in His Son, Jesus Christ. And so then, if we have false claims of righteousness, then we're going to have false claims of relationship. There are those out here today that say they're in fellowship with God. God is not hearing their prayer. God is not listening to what they say because they have tried to bypass Jesus Christ. The way John 10 puts it is they've climbed in some other way. Instead of going through the door, instead of realizing you can only access God through the person of Jesus Christ, they said, no, I've accessed God through my, through my intellect, through my endeavor, through my willpower, through my righteousness, through my keeping of the law, through my understanding of God. I have been able to access Him through meditation, through prayer. No, no, no. You access God through Jesus Christ. It's only His blood that makes us clean enough to enter into the presence of God. And it's our faith in His blood that gives us that access. And so then, there were those who claimed to be in fellowship with God. And John said, let's put that to the test. First of all, there were those who claimed to comprehend God. They had knowledge or light. Remember, how does Satan appear as an angel of light? Let me just say this. You be careful what you imagine or think is true about God. Test it against the Bible. People have all kinds of ideas about God. They have all kinds of ideas about the things of God, about heaven, about hell, about righteousness and holiness. You need to test what you think against what the Bible says. That's the proof of it. And so uh, what's said here in Colossians chapter 2 concerning claims of relationship, verse 4, Colossians 2, it says in verse 3, And hereby we do know that we know him if we keep his commandments. What John says is the assurance of your knowing of him is when you obey him. That's what's going to assure you that you know God. You're always doubt if you're not obeying God. You'll doubt whether you're truly His child if you really know Him, if you don't obey Him. Verse 4 says this, He that saith, there's the claim, He that saith, I know Him, and keepeth not His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. Now, the question here is not whether or not you are perfect in your execution. The question is, you're either keeping His commandments or you're not. Either the commandments of Christ matter to you or they don't. Listen to me tonight. 
If you're here and you claim to be saved, you don't care one iota about what God tells you to do. You need to step back and ask if you're saved or not. If you say, I really don't care. I mean, honestly, truly in the depth of my heart, I don't care if he's pleased with my life or not. If you say, you know what, I'm struggling, I'm battling, and the battle in me is I do care about obeying God and I'm endeavoring to obey him, but at the same time, I'm also wanting to do what's wrong. That's not what I'm talking about. The Bible says, he that keepeth not his commandments meaning the commandments of God have absolutely no bearing on your heart, soul, mind, or body. You, couldn't, you, you, are, a, you are a disregarder of the commands of Christ. You say, I don't care if he said going all the world. That has nothing to do with that. I'm going to live my life. Then you say you know God. You're a liar. You say you know God and you're in fellowship with God. You comprehend God and you won't do what he says. You don't know God. You know what? Whom the Lord loveth, he what? chasteneth. There are people that for 30 years have claimed to be saved, for 30 years have flown in the face of God, never been chastised for their disobedience, never had one interference in their life for their disregard for God's word, are living lives complete in complete disregard to the commandments of God without any interference from God and yet claim to know God. Something is wrong there. You can disobey God as a child of God, but you're not going to get by with it. So the the statement here is like an ultimate statement. If ultimately you live a life that does not keep the commandments of God, you're not his. You don't know him. Go to Hebrews 12. Let's look at this. Hebrews chapter 12, because I don't want there to be any confusion. There are those that teach a lordship salvation, meaning uh, if he's not Lord of all, he's not Lord of at all. That's fine. I understand that statement, but you can be careful with that. How many know there are seasons in your life as a Christian that you can't actually disobey God? If you couldn't, there wouldn't be chastisement. And what they'll do is say, well, that guy's been saved for three years and he still has an addiction to chewing tobacco. He obviously didn't get saved. You be careful with that. There are guys that are teaching and preaching their perseverance of the saints, not the perseverance of the Savior. They drift off into Calvinism. They get people lost that are actually saved, people that are being chastised and could get right with God and now are confused as a termite and a yo-yo because they sincerely were born again. And somebody's telling them you're not saved because your conduct's not perfect. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying is if you can ultimately disobey God and his commandments have no bearing on your life and what Hebrews says and go without chastisement, meaning if you can perpetually disobey God and there never be any change in that, you are not a child of God. God is either going to chastise you into obedience by getting you to live in obedience or he's going to bring you home. 1 Corinthians 11 said there are those that disregarded God and his commands that were truly his children and some were sick and some were sleeping, meaning... As a child of God, you cannot disregard his commandments and perpetually do that and get by with it. Hebrews chapter 12. The Bible says in verse 5, And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children. My son, despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye endure chastening, God dealeth with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if he be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. You know what he's saying? I know you don't use the word bastard, and we shouldn't because the world uses it the wrong way, but the Bible uses it, so it's okay here. Meaning you're claiming to be a child, but you're not. You, you claim to be a child of God, but you're not even in the family. If you can disobey God's commandments and continue without chastisement, you're a fraud, not a child of God. And so then if ye endure chastening, verse 7, God deal with you as with sons. 
For what son is he whom the father chasteneth? Not go down to verse 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? For they verily for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit, that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness. That's the keeping of his commandments. For peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. What John's saying in verse 4 of chapter 2, He that saith, I know him, and keepeth not his commandments, lives a life of, of complete disobedience, disregard for the commandments of God, and continues to live in such a way, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Uh, by the way, the mark of a child of God is not perfect obedience. The mark of a child of God is chastisement for disobedience. I'm not saying we should disobey. I'm saying we have to learn obedience to the chasing hand of God. And for those who can live lives of disregard for the commandments of God and yet claim to be knowing God, that doesn't jive. That's not true. First John chapter 2, verse 9 says this, He that saith that he is in the light and hateth his brother is in darkness even until now. So we're talking about a claim of knowing God. Someone says, I'm in the light, I know God. But man, I hate Christians. And one of the things that troubles me, and you've heard me, and even when I preach through chapter 2, I dealt with this, but there are people today who claim to be Christians and they preach harder against believers than they do against the lost world and the sins of the world. Meaning they, they are constantly blogging and Facebooking and doing all the things they do to point out all the evils of the church, they call it. Something's wrong with that. I'm not telling you there doesn't need to be rebuke. There does. That's why God gives preachers, pastors and teachers to the church. But there are people who clearly have a disdain for other Christians. You say you're in the light and you know God, but you hate God's children? Something's wrong with you. There's something wrong with the person that is a lot more comfortable around an infidel, an unbeliever, than they are around believers. There's something wrong with that. Something wrong with someone that has a greater affection for people who hate God than people that love God. So then John says, you claim to know God, but then you don't keep his commandments and you hate God's children. And I believe the Gnostics came in and they had a despite. How many of you know that at times we've had people come in amongst our church and they've come here with a despite for the people who attend this church intending to show why we're all evil and how... We've missed the light. <laughs> uh, that person doesn't know God. It doesn't, you, you hate someone that loves Jesus Christ, and you've got a problem. <laughs> and what John is saying, there are those who hate. The reason they hate God's children is because they're still in the other family. They're not in the family of God. So there's a claim concerning relationship. If we say we know him and keep not his commandments, we lie, and the truth is not in us. We say we're in the light, but we still hate the brother we're in darkness until now. We're deceived. So that has to do with our comprehension of God. And then there's claims of communion with God. First John 1 verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with Him, meaning I am in full agreement with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. You cannot live a life that's concealed and hidden. If you're doing right, if you're with God, what's to hide? If you're in communion and agreement with God, what's to hide? 
But if you live in darkness, you walk in darkness, you live a life that is uh, in the closet, so to speak. You live a life that has to be concealed. You live a life that you have to lie about all the time. You live a life that's based upon lies. Darkness has to do with deception and defilement. Deception and defilement. There were those who said, we have a secret knowledge. We can't reveal it to you. We have, a, we have a, a better understanding of God that allows us to live our lives the way we do. And you're at a lower level. You couldn't understand it. Look, if you're walking in the darkness, if you're walking with God, you, you can... Jesus said it this way, He that doeth truth cometh to the light, that his deeds may be made manifest that they are rotten God. God is light. God is not a deceiver. God has revealed the truth. God has made it clear to our minds that he created us. God has revealed to us that he came to us in the person of Jesus Christ. God has revealed to us the distinction between sin and righteousness so our conscience can be clear. If you have got to live a life of concealment and say you're in fellowship with God, when you're in fellowship with God, friend, there's nothing to hide. The wicked flee when no man pursueth, but the righteous are... Bold as a lion. Look at, if you're in fellowship with God, you don't have to constantly be looking over your shoulder. I understand there's wicked men who may try to arrest you, but look at, Stephen knew that he was going to get in trouble with God, but did he hide who he was and what he believed? No. You, you have somebody that comes into the church and says, you know, I've got a belief, but I wouldn't want it to get around. Because I am so close to God, I have a superior understanding of the things of God that you know, if the pastor and other church members found out what I believed, it might get me in some trouble. Well, she said, well, what about people that believe that, that are in bad churches? And truth is, if you believe the truth and you're in fellowship with God, but you're walking in darkness, you have to conceal your belief system and because it doesn't need to be tested against the Bible. Something's out of order. That's not fellowship with God. And so there's a claim of communion with God. If we walk in darkness and say we have fellowship with Him, we lie and do not the truth. We're not, we're not living according to the truth. First John chapter 2, verse 6, he says, He that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. Listen, if you've got to go into a mysterious study of Scripture, of numerology, to explain why you believe what you believe. I mean, you've got to get into the dark corners of the Bible. There's something wrong. God revealed truth. God's not hiding the truth behind his back as a mystery for us all to, oh, only the most elite spiritual people can understand what God really meant when he said this and this and this. We should grow in our ability to discern the scriptures, but you look out for people who say, God gave me something new that nobody else understands. That's not right. And so then, First uh, John 2, 6, if we are... In fellowship with him, he that saith he abideth in him ought himself also so to walk even as he walked. You should be able to see the, the walk of the person that's in fellowship with the Lord. You should be able to see that identified as you read your Bible. Oh, that's why so-and-so is like that. That's why instead of hating their enemies, they pray for them. That's what Christ did. Oh, that's why they do that. That's why they give instead of focus on taking and receiving. That's conformity to Christ. And so... There are claims concerning communion with God that can be easily say, the person says, I'm in communion with God. I remember one time uh, hearing a man preach. My dad and I, he, he brought him up the other day. I heard him one time. And he had a habit of cussing when he's preaching in the pulpit. I'm talking about in anger, cursing and using foul language. Heard him one time, said, I'll never go hear him again. And I have it. Because he that abideth in him ought also to walk even as he walked. And that's not the way Christ walked. He didn't cuss his enemies out. 
He didn't cuss when he was preaching. He didn't use God's name in vain or flippantly speak of hell when he spoke of hell. That's what he's talking about. He used it for emphasis. Amen. You see what I'm saying? And so you find people that say, uh, well, I am in close communion with God, and this is reflected. Well, then he'll be like Jesus Christ more and more. And so then we see that in the Apostle Paul. Clearly, he was in fellowship with Christ because he lived like him. And so then uh, there's a test of relationship. There's claims concerning righteousness. Those who claim sinless character and sinless conduct, they're liars. Well, there's we or they. Well, that's, that would not be true. There are claims concerning relationship. People say, I'm in the light. I know God but they won't obey him. They say that they have communion with God, but they conceal their lives and they, 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 they build their lives on lies and deception. Uh, that's not true. They're not in communion with God. God will never, ever lead you into a life that you have to lie to live. Let me say that again. God will never lead you into a life that you have to lie to live. The three Hebrew children knew they were in danger for not bowing, but they didn't lie about it. They didn't say, let's pretend to bow, and nobody will ever know that we're in our hearts not bowing. Right? If I have to lie to live a life, it's not of God. And so then, uh, by the way, how many have ever studied the code of the Jesuit priests? Some of the code. Do you realize they were sanctioned to lie if it was for the furtherance of Catholicism? It was okay to lie as long as you were facilitating your mission as a Jesuit priest. You know, it tells me God's not within 100 miles of that. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. So then uh, we see finally a claim concerning regard. By that I mean love. So he debunks claims concerning righteousness, sinless in character, sinless in conduct. That's not true. Concerning relationship, I know God, but I won't obey him. I'm in fellowship with God, but I'm living a lie. No, 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 not true. And then thirdly, claim concerning regard or love for God. First John 4, we saw this two weeks ago. 1 John 4.20, if a man say, here it is again, a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he is a liar. I wish John would just get to the point and say what he means, right? He is a liar, for he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? Verses 21, then chapter 5, verse 1. And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone that loveth him that begat, loveth him also that is begotten of him. You know what? I, I love George and Penny, therefore I love Zeke. I love Jim and Jeff, they're in the, their families, therefore I love Hunter and Vienna and Riley and Sidney. You love the parent, you love the child. Truth? I mean, honestly, because you love the parent. I know some children who are gone astray, they're living in sin can't even have fellowship with them, but I love them because I love their parents. I love their parents, and I hear the heart of their parent aching. Let me give you, a, let me give you an example of this. Luke chapter 15, you have the story of the two prodigals. Two prodigals. The father loved both sons, did he not? The elder brother claimed to love the father, but you know how we know he didn't? He hated his brother. He claimed to love daddy, but if he loved daddy, you know what he would have done? He would have joined his daddy in welcoming his brother home. But instead, he despised his brother because what he wanted was self-centeredness. He wanted everything for himself. And when brother comes back home, there's loss for him. He didn't care about his dad. And there are many like that. They claim to love God, but they don't care what happens to the brethren. They don't. It, look, if we loved God, we would get as broken-hearted about wayward brethren as our father is. 
Does it break God the Father's heart when his own children disobey him? It does. The Bible says it grieves him. It quenches him. Well, then it ought to grieve us. If I can see a fellow child of God get in disobedience to God, come under chastisement, and I say, well, good, then that'll just show how good I am if they're doing bad. Ooh, that's a problem. If I love God, I love God's children. If I'm today, tonight, I'm not burdened for the spiritual state of churches across this land, something's wrong. Honestly. God's, I believe this land has multitudes of saved people and people that are truly born again who've heard the gospel, genuinely, sincerely believed it, and have received the Spirit of God. I believe there's, it's also full of people who claim to have and never have been. I get that. But I believe there's many a person who's been saved and have gotten off course out of God's will and are in disobedience and under the chastening hand of God. My dad makes a very good point. What's the largest section of any church's prayer list? Help me now. Largest section. Health. Health. You can go anywhere, any church in America, and I understand we have bad health habits and eating habits in America. I get all that. But I also believe there's more chastisement going on than we want to say. I do. I believe there are people, I can think of people in my own mind. I've watched people I know and I love make decisions where they heard the truth and said, I'm going to do nothing about it, absolutely nothing. I'm going to keep living the way I've been living. And I've watched their lives just one thing right after another. Wham, wham. And I'm not saying all adversity is chastisement. Some adversity is testing. But I've watched some people knowing they've acknowledged, yes, I know this is what God wants, but it's not what I'm going to do. I've watched their health decline. I've watched numerous things afflict them that are out of their control. And I believe with all my heart it's the chastening end of God. I believe we would be wiser to say, oh, let's get brokenhearted over that. If we love the Father, we love the children. You know why God chastens His children? Because He loves them. Because He loves them. And you know what Bible, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 12, if we have a brother or sister that's under chastisement, you know what chastisement does? It weakens your knees and your hands. God says, wherefore strengthen the feeble knees and, and the hands that are weak. Hebrews chapter 12, you keep reading where we just stopped earlier. Our job then is to come alongside after God is chasing one of our brethren. Instead of despising them, we're supposed to love them. If they're doing right, we're supposed to love them. If they're doing wrong, we're supposed to love them. Meaning, I'm supposed to regard them. There are people that couldn't care less what happened to God's family as long as their life is getting what they want. And what John's saying is, you got people coming into the church that do not care about God's people but claim to love God. That's not true. A claim of regard for God when there's disregard for the brethren is a false claim. 1 John 4.20. And so the reality is, if I say I love God whom I have not seen and I hate my brother whom I have seen, I'm a liar. How can I love God whom I have not seen if I don't love him my brother whom I have seen, and then the rule is given, verse 21, and this commandment have we from him. It's a commandment. That he who loveth God, love his brother also. If I'm born of the family of God, I have a duty to love God's children, whether they're lovable or not. Chapter 5, verse 1, whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. What he's doing is, let's define again who's in the family of God. I've just told you, you love your brother, so here's who is in the family of God. Someone believes that Jesus is the Christ, meaning they have taken God at his word, put their faith in Jesus Christ like the eunuch did there in Acts chapter 8. They're a brother. All right? Whosoever believeth that Jesus is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat. So if you love the father of that one who's been born again, 
loveth him also that is begotten of him. If you're in the family of God, one of the marks of being in the family of God is you love other brethren. One of the things that was brought up when we went to Mexico, and if you've been on missions trips, you can verify this. You can meet people that don't even speak your language. But what you have in common is mutual personal faith in Jesus Christ. You've both been born into God's family, and there is a brotherhood there. Skin color, gender, language barrier doesn't matter. And there's going to be something in you that cares for that person for one reason. They're a brother or a sister in Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. And so, by the way, that's what the local church is. It's the assembly of the family of God in a location. It's really what it is. That's why I say people who say they love God don't care about church. Something's wrong. Something's wrong. Well, I love God, but... I go worship him on my own in the hills. You don't love God. That's a lie. Amen? That's just a straight up. John can say they're liars. I'll just follow suit and do the same. Amen? And so tonight, there's some professions and some proofs. Professions and proofs. Uh, If a man say, I have no sin, I have not sinned, he's a liar. If a man says, I know God, but I'm not going to obey him, he's a liar. If a man says, I'm in fellowship with God, but he's walking a life of deceit and, and, and claiming to be one thing while living another, he's a liar. Uh, if a man says, I love God, but I hate God's children, he's a liar. John wants us to understand, let's not formulate a false understanding of what it means to be a child of God. Let's not accept a false form of righteousness, someone who says, I've obtained and attained sinlessness. That's not it. We are righteous by faith, not by character and conduct. Amen? So let's not formulate a false form of faith. Let's not formulate a false form of fellowship to say you can have fellowship with God without obeying Him. Mm -mm. Fellowship is obedience. That's what it is. Obedience to God is fellowship with God. And then thirdly, let's not claim a false form of love. Let's not not accept... A love that says you can love God and hate God's people. John is, what are you he's doing? He's exposing and shooting down lies that were being passed off to that early church. Here we are 2,000 years later, and don't tell me we don't have people formulating false forms of righteousness, saying you can live in a life of absolute rebellion against God and be in fellowship, and you can hate God's people while still loving God. Friend, that is as up-to-date as anything we have. And so, don't fall for it. You say, you know what? There are those teaching today because of God's abundant grace. You can absolutely disregard his word and be in perfect communion with him. They are liars based on the word of God. You love God, you keep his commandments. You love God, you love his children. You know how we know we love God's children? When we know we love God by obeying him. Love for each other is carried out through obedience to him. Amen. I hope it's helpful to you tonight. Uh, one of the things that preaching and teaching does is exposes error so we can say, you know what, we'll put that away. I begin to entertain this idea that I can actively live in disobedience with God and be in fellowship or that I uh, maybe, maybe someone's been giving you a false gospel that you can obtain and get to some point of sinless perfection or somehow that uh, you can love God and, and despise God's people, whatever it may be. Let's accept the truth on it. Mm-hmm.